If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. The goal is to support people with disabilities to get access to low-cost assistive technology. How that's done is that we use makers in the community as volunteers, and then also disability professionals get involved because they want to help their clients. What if having maker skills meant going beyond creating very cool things to creating very cool things that made the world more accessible? Zeke Kessler is Project Manager at Makers Making Change, an initiative of Vancouver's Neil Squire Society. And Neil Squire Society's mission is to use technology, knowledge, and passion to empower Canadians with disabilities, as stated on their website, and creative ideas for new technologies and additional hacks are always welcome. In addition to her work with Makers Making Change, Z is the co-founder and facilitator of the Vancouver Maker Education Initiative, and she's also the co-founder of the Curiosity in the Classroom Project, which enables sixth graders to learn hands-on trade skills through maker clubs in some of the local schools. Z, how'd you first get inspired to be both a maker and an educator who implements programs in the schools? Oh, wow. So I think it goes back to when I was younger, I didn't really have any idea that there were different types of education systems or philosophies. When I was in high school, I was at a very strict school and I ended up getting in trouble and I was a pretty good student, but I ended up, eventually my parents kind of saw my perspective and they allowed me to change to another school, which was a kind of work at your own pace school. And they had a very different approach to education, which kind of got me curious. I went to university for the arts and I found that I was really curious about building and making things that were very big. But at art school, they don't really train you in technical skills, so I was always kind of partnering with tradespeople. My dad was a tradesperson. And so from there, I kind of realized, like, one of the gaps in my education was, like, the people who were in the arts were not learning, you know, more technical skills and how how do we get those kind of two worlds to collide more. And I really like the maker approach where it's kind of integrated. Like, it's not just one subject teaches one thing. There's art in science and there's science in art and I like how they talk about STEAM, so there's the arts integration into STEM, and I just thought if that had been around when I was a kid, I don't know if I would have gone the direction I I did, not to say I wouldn't be creative, but maybe I would have realized I'm already creative, maybe I should get more education in a technical sense, so it kind of drew me to the maker field because I felt like it aligned a lot with my, you know, I guess gaps in my own education, but it also made me curious, like, how do we make this fun for kids growing up now and even for teachers who weren't educated in that kind of system to teach kids these sorts of things. Let's explore that a minute before we get talking about makers making change. How do we make this fun? Let's say we have a kid who is a total arts kid. How do we get that child interested in doing something technical without killing their interest in making the art? Well, I find that kids, you know, they might have kind of grand ideas and sometimes Adults shoot them down because they're <laughs> they're not like practical. But I think sometimes like the approach that I would use, I, I used to be a nanny for many years and I homeschooled kids and was just like, okay, let's try. Let's see what's actually involved to do that. And sometimes, you know, it's surprising for them to realize, oh, shoot, I need math to do this. Or, oh, shoot, I need to research like what do engineers do. And, you know, it, it usually surprises them to see 
how many different fields they need to know about to be able to do these crazy things. And sometimes it stops them, but other times, you know, if you have the right support and we can bring them around to people in the community to learn more, it makes them more curious. So one of the kids I used to homeschool, he had a very flexible schedule. We could literally just go and stop in an engineering firm or an architecture firm or, you know, any place that we think of or maker labs or any of these maker spaces or hack spaces and bring him to a workshop and so he can learn some of the skills he might need. It doesn't mean he'll ever necessarily build that thing, but it might give him a sense of if he wants to go in that direction or not instead of just shooting down his idea before he tries some of the skills necessary to do it. I love that you're relating. Here's how this skill relates to what you want to do and relates to your life. That is fantastic. Yeah, and they might not end up going in that direction, but now they'll know how to fix their headphones <laughs> you know, or something like that. <laughs> How'd you first get involved with the Neil Squire Society? So I was working with Maker Fair. I was helping coordinate their education initiative and a meetup. And so I had a section, section off at Maker Fair where I was doing some educational workshops with woodworking and textiles. And I, I tweeted out saying, oh, my volunt- a couple volunteers have canceled. I need some extra help. And Chad, the director of social innovation of Makers Make You Change, he, he wrote back to me. And I didn't even see because I was so busy. And then he came over to my booth and said, hey, I saw your message. You can use some of our staff to do this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's really nice of you. You're monitoring my Twitter feed for me. Like, thank you. <laughs> I don't even know you. But actually, how I sort of originally came in contact with him was that he had hired my business to be a part of Makers Making Change's first event ever, but I was not available that day. So actually, my partner, Simon Lyons, he went with the Maker Mobile, and he said to me after the event, this was the coolest event we've ever done. You really need to talk to this guy, and you really need to get involved with Makers Making Change. <laughs> so when the job came up, I thought, oh, this is great. Like, I just found out I had a disability. I'd always been a little resistant to 3D printing, so it was kind of like, oh, okay, maybe I, for this purpose, I could get on board. <laughs> so... That's sort of how it all started. I talked with Chad just over two years ago, and just then Makers Making Change was just about a year-old initiative. But for anybody that didn't hear that interview, how would you describe this initiative? What is Makers Making Change? So Makers Making Change is a network. It happens in real life as well as online. We have a website where people with disabilities as well as makers and disability professionals can sign up to make connections in their community. And the goal is to support people with disabilities to get access to low-cost assistive technology. And how that's done is that we use makers in the community as volunteers, sometimes just to print out projects on the 3D printer that have already been designed open source, or sometimes to develop new projects for people. And then also disability professionals get involved because they, we're hoping that they get involved in the sense that they want to help their clients, right? So if they can get involved in innovating and changing the way assistive technology is distributed in their industry, then they're helping their clients. And so for a lot of people, they see the potential of this. They see how exciting it is because they know how expensive devices can be. And they also know that sometimes their clients can't afford them or they don't have insurance. And so, you know, they're stopped. They don't know, okay, well, what do I do next? I don't want to just leave this person hanging. So at least they can kind of send those people over to us. There are some extremely cool adaptive technologies on your website when you talk about the open source software. Let's preview a couple of these. What are people going to see when they come to your website? Well, it's interesting because we have a list of maybe 100 right now, always adding every single day. There's lots of groups out there doing open source assistive tech, and we're trying to find the best ones, the most likely candidates for something that can be used uh, reliably and ongoingly and sort of 
been tested, like more than some of the devices you might see out there. So some of the top devices that people request or view are a bag holder for arthritis. You know, sometimes your fingers get a little pinched by using plastic bags when you're carrying them home from the store. A bottle opener also could be used for arthritis or other disabilities if you have challenges around dexterity or strength in your hands. The lip sync, which is a mouth-controlled mouse for someone who is quadriplegic so that they can access a smartphone or a tablet. And there's a couple other devices. Okay, I'll just leave it at that for now. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you before you started telling me that you couldn't go to the first event, then the job came up, and you got involved with Makers Making Change. What were those first months like? What were some of the most fun things and some of the best creative challenges you had? Well, in the beginning, when we were first starting, it was mostly Google who was funding us. And then we had started on a grant with the Government of Canada. So we have different, you know, grant outcomes for both. One of them is in the U.S., one of them is in Canada. So just sort of balancing those two needs of what we have to fulfill, but also making sure we keep in contact with people, that we keep on top of requests. You know, we have two different kind of groups of people working on this. Like there's there's our engineers and then there's also kind of like the outreach people. So always balancing the events with the, you know, inventions and the adaptations that we're doing in the office because we also work out of a disabilities organization that, you know, our whole project came out of called the Neil Squire Society. So we do have clients come in saying, I need this workplace adaptation. And then sometimes engineers have to drop what they're doing and then be like, okay, let's design something for them. And often those things end up on the Makers Making Change website. But yeah, just balancing the sort of needs of Neil Squire Society as well as Makers Making Change. A lot of our listeners are makers or entrepreneurs, and we have some educators listening. What if they're hearing this and they say, I'd love to get involved? What can they expect? So there's a few different ways you can get involved. One is by being a maker. So if you're a maker, you can sign up and you can volunteer on your, you know, however often you want or for whatever project you want. So you would sign up and you would list your skills and then someone with a disability can see and they can search their community and they can see a list of all the makers and then they can see what skills they have. So just say they want something 3D printed. If they see a maker with that skill, they can message them. Another way that you can get involved is if you want to start a community chapter, you can go and sign up, fill out the form, then we'll follow up with you. Right now, we've had a lot of interest from the U.S. As you can imagine, the healthcare system is a lot different than Canada. However, we do also have a lot of need in Canada. Even though we have a different healthcare system, there are people that fall through the cracks here too as well. And so, you know, people can start a chapter in their area. It's kind of best suited for a person that's already sort of doing this type of work with 3D modeling, working with OTs. We've had a lot of people that work at accessible makerspaces and they're, they're all applying. And I thought, this is fantastic. Like, this is such an interesting group of people that we're meeting. If you're a person with a disability or an occupational therapist, you can get involved by reviewing some of the devices. Of course, a lot of people with disabilities are also makers. So they're actually some of the best makers because they've had to be troubleshooting their disability and different challenges they have day-to-day for years. So they are usually the best makers that submit projects. So that's another way you can get involved is to submit a project of something you've invented, especially if you're someone with a disability who knows it works and you've used it over and over. That's even more fantastic. We will get it out there so other people in the similar position can try out their device. Or if you're like a university professor or instructor, we have a bunch of projects people submit as ideas to us that aren't in our library yet. And, you know, if you wanted to take those 
projects to your class and pitch them and maybe they work on them as a project, we can send those over as well. So those are some of the ways you can get involved. There's many different ways to get involved. <laughs> Let's give the link where people can get in touch with you either to submit a project or maybe if they are professors to find out more for their classroom. So you can go to makersmakingchange.com. That's the main site. If you want to fill out an application to start a chapter or just to help us, we call that community champion, someone that just helps but doesn't necessarily run a specific chapter. And that's makersmakingchange.com slash resources. You can also get to that by clicking start a chapter on the left-hand menu. Makersmakingchange.com slash resources. I don't want to forget to mention that the Abilities Expo is coming up in Toronto as you and I are speaking. What is Makers Making Change going to be doing at Abilities Expo? I think we're actually just hosting a booth at that one. (laughs) There's a few other events that we do workshops at as well, but it's all about the timing of what other events are happening at the same time. Do we have enough 3D prints to do that event? So sometimes we just go, we host a booth, we tell people what we're up to. We find that the Abilities Expo is a good one because we get a lot of people with disabilities coming up to us and asking more about our project, whereas other conferences are more geared towards occupational therapists. And for them, sometimes it's pretty new and interesting and innovative. And often they just think we 3D print things. So we do have to explain what we do. And then they're kind of blown away by that. So it's often useful to run a workshop with the OTs at those types of conferences. Let's do a shameless plug here. What is Makers Making Change going to be doing, let's say throughout the next six months, where you might be doing workshops or you might be doing something here in the U.S.? So we've received some funding from the Craig Nielsen Foundation. And so we'll be doing some events across Canada and every province for that. We're also doing an event with Microsoft in the summer. We haven't nailed down an exact date yet, but probably in July for their staff. So sometimes they're internal events and other times they're sort of open to the public. We're going to be at the Guelph Accessibility Conference and we'll be hosting a workshop there. We'll be at the Canadian Association for Occupational Therapists Conference in May in Niagara Falls. In the U.S., we don't actually have staff for Makers Making Change. It's something that may be in development, but right now it's mostly the chapters that sort of run the events. However, sometimes, you know, if it's a person in their community says, hey, I want this to come here. I work at a bank, and guess what? I can probably get them to fund something then sometimes we'll fly someone down to do that. Other times if the person is very capable of, you know, soldering and they're very pro at those types of things, we'll send them a device and say, hey, can you build this before? Let us know your feedback. And sometimes they just run the event themselves. So um, it just depends on the situation, but we have run quite a few events all over in the States. And if you look on our map under the Connect section, you can kind of see where our connections are. And we've done several events on the East Coast. We've done lots in California. I know we're going to be at the Nation of Makers Conference hosting a toy hacking event, which is quite exciting. So a few things on the horizon. The 2019 Nation of Makers Conference, or NOMCON for short, happens Friday, June 14th through Sunday, June 16th in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Let's talk a little bit about toy hacking. I saw a couple other events that you did, and that is a cool idea. How do we do this? Okay, so toy hacking is sort of the process of rerouting where the electricity would go. So instead of being a toy being operated by the traditional buttons or switches that are built in, you change the electricity to go out to another input. So you can use like a button or a switch that's much easier for a person with a disability to use. Sometimes 
depending on dexterity issues or coordination issues or strength. Some kids can't press the buttons that are in toys that are built in. Sometimes the switch that turns it on in the back is too difficult to turn it on. Sometimes it's just the amount of effort you have to use to press it. So there's kind of two parts to a toy hack. The first is adapting the the input where the new button will go and adding that into sort of like hardwired into the toy. And then the second part is building the switch or the button that attaches to it so it's there's a new input. And so we have a few switches that we've been working on and developing on our site. And one's called the light touch switch and one of them sort of an adaptation of the Volk switch. We're always sort of testing them and building them and then getting feedback and then refining them more. So we just did a big event at the BC Tech Summit and another one at Microsoft where we trained the people who taught at the BC Tech Summit how to do a button so that we could turn on some toys that we hacked. That is so cool. I'd love to see some toys hacked by voice control for kids. That would be kind of a fun thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be neat. should put that on the list. <laughs> I'm also intrigued that you mentioned textiles or something you use as a maker because there will be some people listening who say, well, soldering, I don't do soldering, but I sew soft circuits. What's something we could make for adaptive technology for makers making change that if we have a background, let's say, in needlework and sewing and patchwork and stuff of that type? Well, I've heard, we don't have this in our library currently, but I've heard about sensory boards and sensory blankets, which are used often with kids with autism or different sensory processing disorders. And yeah, so textiles is an interesting one. In my other life, I'm sort of like a textile artist, so (laughs) it interests me personally. We have not made anything like that with our team quite yet, but we have seen what other people have created. And there's always a a list of things we want to upload onto our site that we haven't done yet. So maybe that one's in the list. (laughs) So anybody listening that's into textiles, makersmakingchange.com. What's next when you say in the list, if you could do anything you wanted in the next year or so with Makers Making Change, what would be coming up on that website? Device-wise? Anything, any kind of dream project for you. Well, right now we're actually working on um, a curriculum with this company called Print Lab. And they support teachers to learn 3D modeling. So there's been lots of interest in what we're doing by teachers in high school and middle school because a lot of schools have maker spaces and libraries as well. We don't quite have the mandate to do education per se. So when this group Print Lab approached us and said, we want to design a bunch of assistive technology tutorials and we want to partner with you, we thought, that's fantastic. <laughs> so they have one that they've put out right now. But we also have to sort of integrate, we're going to integrate a community involvement element where people can actually design things in their community. Currently, the one that's up there is just kind of the design process, but we're currently working on integrating just best practices and different empathy exercises for kids to understand what people with disabilities are facing in the world, but as well as their communities directly, like how far do they have to travel to get medical help? How far do they have to travel to just get access to a device or get an OT? Some of these communities are really rural, so you might have to go on a plane to get to the next closest place. So just developing an understanding around what people are facing and then also an understanding of what, you know, sometimes things are designed for people, but it doesn't mean that they're thinking about the person. They're just thinking about solving the problem. They might not be thinking about other day-to-day challenges they might have. So just really trying to connect them to people directly to actually start to create community between people with disabilities and like feel supported in their 
communities where they're living. So we're trying to create, um, well, I should say we are creating a curriculum for that right now. So what I'm looking forward to is that being integrated and released and by the school year. Do you need any kind of assistance with these from anyone listening who's a teacher, or are you pretty much set? Well, hmm. once it's been released, it would be great to get feedback. Right now, it's not in its final state, but in September it should be. So if anyone wants to get involved using this with their class, you can sign up as a chapter. The sort of agreement is that you do the curriculum. If you do the community involvement option, you would offer to use your 3D printer or your class's maker skills to help if there's ever a request that's made in your community, maybe to print something out or maybe even to design something from scratch if it's something that you feel your students are capable of. So I would love to hear feedback about how people find the curriculum and what they would change about it and how it's worked in their communities and see some connections that might have been made as a result. So once again, makersmakingchange.com and look for this at the start of the school year. I'm going to assume late August to early September. Yeah, yeah. We're working on it right now. <laughs> what would you consider to be one of the most important things you've learned about making and maker education within the past year and a half you've been with Makers Making Change? Interestingly enough, I've learned that sometimes when bigger systems implement maker things, they sometimes miss the point because they maybe weren't actually part of the kind of grassroots community that started it. So I've heard some feedback from teachers that they don't feel included. Like, for example, you might see at a Maker Fair people doing homesteading kind of like canning activities, but you'll also find textile artists and you'll also find, you know, engineers that are making crazy fire-breathing dragons in their spare time. And sometimes when schools start these maker spaces, they just do their STEM stuff out of there. They don't necessarily invite other teachers from other faculties or other subject areas to use the makerspace. It's sometimes just focused on one specific area that they're hoping to maybe generate jobs or career skills or something. And so I feel like, although it might not seem like a logical thing to get those groups together, there is definitely a crossover in terms of the skills that you can learn, even if it's just like soft skills that you might not expect. And so I would encourage teachers implementing makerspaces or in charge of purchasing things for their schools to have conversations with all the different teachers in different subject areas before they buy their tools and materials for their makerspace because I think there's a lot of potential for crossover between, you know, baking and science and math and, you know, things that you might not expect. Which is a fun concept when you think that art is science and science art. I think a lot of people didn't really know that for quite a long while. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As we wrap up here, Z, if people could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you want them to take away from your work as a maker and educator? I would hope that they understand that just doing a simple action that might be very easy for them, such as just printing something out for someone, can actually save someone so much money. And if you're low income, that, you know, 50 or $100 for that device that you can now print for like a dollar off your 3D printer, like that's, that's someone's food money for the month. So I would like someone to take away that they can make a big difference by a very small action. And so if they sign up on our site, you know, they can choose, if they reply to the request, they can say, you know, sorry, I'm not available, I'm on vacation. Or they can say, oh, I can do it in a couple weeks. It's very flexible how you get involved and it's not mandatory that you create a certain number of projects. 
So I would just encourage people to just put it out there that they're willing to help in some way. And it's up to them how they do that. Z, thank you for your time today. You're welcome. You and I have been listening to Z Kessler, Project Manager of Makers Making Change. You'll find more information on Makers Making Change's open source software and projects, along with latest news and their schedule of upcoming events at makersmakingchange.com. That's makersmakingchange.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.